You are listening to the Women in Youth Ministry podcast, hosted by me, Heather Kennison. Women in Youth Ministry is an organization that seeks to elevate the voices of women in a male-saturated field. Our podcast is a part of the Youth Cartel Podcast Network. You can find other podcasts like ours on the network at theyouthcartel.com. Go to womeninyouthministry.com to read our blog, follow us on social media, join our Facebook community, or support our Patreon. Now, here is this week's guest. Hey friends, with the Women in Youth Ministry Conference coming up, my team asked if I'd post the keynotes from last year's conference so that you could get a taste of what's to come. And how could I say no to this team? So, this week, you're going to hear the first keynote of the conference, me. Now, I must preface by saying that somehow the first seven minutes of my keynote was not recorded, so I've had to re-record it. It doesn't have the same glam and appeal, but at least we have it. Unfortunately, I'm the only person this happened to. Second, they played Like a Girl by Lizzo as my welcome up song, so I was feeling pretty fly. So unfortunately, some of the charisma is lost, but it is what it is. Um... But anyway, next week I'll post another one by Erica Skimmelfenegg, and the following week I'll post Gina Abbas's. And then we'll get back to our regular content thereafter. So, without further ado, here is the first keynote of the Women in Youth Ministry Conference 2022. I hope you guys get signed up for 2023. The cutoff date is February 8th, so do not delay. My name is Heather, and I am the founder of Women in Youth Ministry, and I'm so excited that you all decided to come hang out with me at this inaugural conference. Now, while our Facebook group started out for Women in Youth Ministry, we've expanded to include women in kids, youth, college, young adults, and all other areas of the church. We even have women who've moved on to senior leadership roles and still find our community to be their safe space. Now, the next two days, we will focus on family ministries, kids, and especially youth. So to kick us off, let's uh, play a little game um, called You Might Be a Woman in Youth Ministry If. So let's see if any of these apply to you guys. You might be a woman in youth ministry if you've had to hook a mic pack in your underwear. You finish preaching or leading announcements in big church and someone comments on your outfit and not your message. When you've had to skip a birth control pill to force your period to skip a retreat or a mission trip. Have any of y'all been there? You might be a woman in youth ministry if you were asked when you're going to get married. And then when you get married, you're asked, when are you going to have kids? And then once you have kids, you're asked, how can you possibly balance it all? You might be a woman in youth ministry if people thought that your male spouse or even a male volunteer was a youth pastor and not you. You might be a woman in youth ministry if you've gotten into at least one Facebook debate on swim attire. If you've been the only woman in the room at one of those youth pastor networking meetings. You might be a single woman in youth ministry if you've ever been hit on by other male youth pastors both single and married 
I lived that for years. You might be a woman in kids' ministry if on Easter Sunday, when everyone else is wearing their best, you're in comfy pants so you can crawl around on the floor with kiddos. You might be a woman in youth ministry if you've had to Google, what did Paul mean in Timothy at least once? You have called a friend ranting about the games that white male youth pastors were playing, like drinking root beer out of a dirty sock. You might be a woman in ministry if you've demonstrated how to use a tampon to teenagers, if you've ever bled through a pair of pants while preaching, you've ever been asked, what's your real job? You might be a woman in ministry if you have more t-shirts than any other clothing item. And you might be in a woman in youth ministry if you've had people break into your Facebook group soliciting feet pics or wives. This is a true story. <laughs> now, our Facebook community has been around for eight years now, and it feels so surreal to finally meet you all today. There are women in this room who I text with almost every day, who have become among my very best friends. And this conference is a celebration for me of finally meeting so many people that I care about from the internet. Now, I want to kick off this conference by sharing a little bit about who I am, why I created Women in Youth Ministry, and why this conference is quite literally a dream come true. Now, when my parents got pregnant with me, my mother was 18 years old. Both of my parents had issues with religion. My father's mother left her husband, who was an abusive alcoholic, and the Catholic Church excommunicated her. On my mother's side of the family, her father actually found religion after his divorce. And it confused and hurt my mother to see him turn from a badass into a really conservative dude. When they got pregnant with me, my parents decided to get married and raise their children with religious freedom. They would never go to church, but if their children did, they wouldn't stop them. A family friend brought me to church when I was five years old, and I fell in love. She couldn't always bring me to church, so the church bus would come and pick me up each week, and I would go to church by myself. I want you to imagine a six-year-old you know, or a child you know when they were six years old, and just place that image in your mind. Now imagine if that child got themselves up every Sunday, fed themselves breakfast, changed into one of their two Sunday dresses, and boarded a church bus to go to church each week by themselves. This kid was me. Now, because my parents had me so young, they struggled to parent me in a way that made me feel loved and safe. We struggled with poverty. To add, I knew from a young age that my parents were drug addicts. But when I was at church, I felt really loved. I had friends, adults who cared about me, and I got to hear about the love of a Savior that felt really real to me. I would go on to sing in every Christmas and Easter play, the one time my parents would show up each year to support me, and I got involved in just about anything I possibly could at church. I would come home from church and teach church to my little sister each Sunday. Other kids played school. I played Sunday school. And when I became a teenager, I was pumped to finally be in the student ministry. In January of eighth grade, my senior pastor would preach a sermon that would change my life in so many ways. You see, the church I grew up in was in Ferguson, Missouri, known to you all as a city that Michael Brown was murdered in in 2014. Over a decade earlier, my pastor told the congregation that we needed to make some changes in our church. The demographics of the surrounding area was changing due to white flight, 
And rather than reaching our neighborhood, the white people from our church were moving to new neighborhoods and then traveling to come to this church. Our pastor shared that our vision was to be a fully integrated church, which would be reflected both in our pews and in the pulpit. The vision was to unite with our community. This powerful message ticked off the congregation, as I'm sure you all expected, you're in ministry. Half of the congregation left, including every single youth family and our youth pastor. Now, I, of course, had nowhere to go. I mean, an eighth grader doesn't go church shopping. And plus, I believed in this vision. My home was in this community. A few months later, we would hire a new youth pastor, a black man named Ryan, who helped fulfill the vision that our senior pastor had laid down. Our first night of youth ministry, it was him, his wife, their niece, and me. And Ryan believed that if we were going to reach our community and grow our church, that the gifts of students would have to be the forefront of that vision. The gifts would be what makes the church grow and thrive. So Ryan taught me about how to grow a ministry from scratch using tools that I still talk about today. We started within our church, having every grandma bring her grandchildren to church, and we started that way. Then we started with the community and started doing programs and activities with the community to invite them in. But the most important thing that Ryan taught me was that teenagers will come when they feel needed. And so he used our youth for anything possible in our church, and it ended up changing the church's entire culture. So youth started ushering, and I actually ended up becoming the first female usher that my small Southern Baptist church had ever had, and it paved the way for adult women to be able to usher too. Uh, We developed a praise team that would lead worship once a month in big church, but it paved the way for us to reconsider how we did worship as a church, and we started uh, a praise team for our entire church that teenagers could serve on any time, not just youth Sunday. (laughs) And then, like, we did other things. We started praise dancing, liturgical dancing, which I was terrible at. Like, you don't want to see it. There are videos on the internet. I try to scrub them. It's bad. We started doing fish fries. Uh, We led Awana, which is a Southern Baptist kids program. We would lead that every week together as a youth-led program, changing up our youth night in order to put this as a priority. I was at church three days a week, uh, giving whatever the church would allow me to give back to it. You know, in eighth grade, my whole life fell apart. In addition to our youth ministry being decimated, my parents uh, fell deeper into their addiction and ultimately abandoned my sister and I. They fell so deep that they were never home, and they didn't pay the bills, and so we lived in poverty without most of our utilities, most of high school, and they Uh, weren't healthy enough to care about our food. And so oftentimes we relied on the food pantry. All I had in high school was church, and church welcomed me in. By junior year, I was teaching youth Sunday school by myself while my youth pastor was down the hall doing kids' church. And like now today, I'm like, that is dangerous. That is not safe sanctuaries approved. (laughs) But I did that. (laughs) I, uh, and I was so excited to just give to the church any way they'd allow me to. And so one day, Ryan comes to me and says, you know what, when you graduate, you should take over this youth ministry. I was like, hello, what? (laughs) No, no. And I laughed it off, but more and more people came to me and said, Heather, you should be a youth pastor. And so one day, I asked, can women be youth pastors? And their response was, 
Oh yeah, I guess not. And so this same church that groomed me for ministry then said, actually, you can't do this. They made allowances for women to serve. They called out the gifts of their teenagers, but then got very uncomfortable when this teenager said, I'm going to go pursue school for ministry anyway. So I went to a Southern Baptist University where I joke I was the only woman who wanted to be a pastor and not marry one. (laughs) I started an organization in my college for women who were going into ministry. And you can imagine I became known as the loud woman on, on campus. But this did allow me to avoid my ring by spring, which gave me some time to take on my first youth pastor role at the very mature age of 20 in a small Southern Baptist church that made an allowance for me and my gender based on just having one student in the program, a young woman. So I became the first female youth pastor I had ever known, and I was freaking out. (laughs) I had taken the classes in school, I'd done the internships, and sure, I had some skills from high school, but here I was feeling alone and way in over my head. The year was 2010, So I went to the Google machine and I typed, can women do youth ministry? Question mark. And it was from there that I found the blogs of Gina Abbas, Brooklyn Lindsay, Kara Powell, Stephanie Caro, Elle Campbell, and many others. And I started to feel like I was a part of something. So I started a blog of my own and I blogged about ministry, Christianity, whatever. It's still semi-active. If you want to go creep on 2010 Heather, she's a riot. A riot. Um, But I just began blogging. I just began listing out my thoughts. As a side note, I really wanted to be Oprah when I grew up. So when I went into ministry, I was like, what do I do? What? So I was like, oh, this is my way of being Oprah. I can blog about my journey. I don't know. I was weird. So there were some people who were like, hey, what you have to say is good sometimes. And so they reached out to me and started, like, met me in person and mentored me and poured into me and gave me more confidence as a woman in ministry. In 2012, I took a short break from ministry um, after college because my family was homeless at the time. And I moved back to St. Louis uh, to get my sister into another living arrangement. During this break, I began working for a youth pastor organization where I ultimately became the token woman. In December of 2013, I moved here to Indianapolis to work here at St. Luke's um, because I knew that my gifts would be championed as a woman. After hearing women preach for the first time, seeing people get excited about what I bring to the table rather than being afraid of it, I really started feeling safe. And I realized that I'm a baddie and I don't need to be in places that oppress me anymore. (laughs) Right? And so I quit that youth uh, pastor organization, and in March of 2014, I started this little Facebook group called Women in Youth Ministry. Thanks. (laughs) So one of the things that I realized during this season was that I was tired of working for churches and organizations that didn't have the same values as me. Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead, which is my literal leadership Bible, if you've not read it, like, please read it. Um, says this. In those moments when we start putting other voices in front of our own, we forget what made us go into the arena in the first place. The reason we're there. We forget our values. Or frequently, we don't even know what they are 
or how to name them. If we do not have clarity of values, if we don't have anywhere else to look or focus, if we don't have the light up above to remind us why we're there, the cynics and the critics can bring us to our knees. Now, I believe this happens to women all the time. We place the voices of others in front of our own, and rarely do we do the work to understand who we are and what we value, the reason that we got into ministry in the first place. In 2014, March, I didn't just start a little Facebook group. I started a community based on values that I hold that I was not finding in male-dominated spaces. Now, I'm going to be the first to admit, in the first few years of creating that community, my values were off. I wanted a space to complain about the other spaces. Just being honest, made some mistakes. But over time, I recalibrated. I started to do some work to unpack my story, especially my church trauma, and figure out who I am and what I value. St. Brene says that determining and living into our values, she's a saint, determining and living into our values takes some intentional upfront work, work that most of us don't take the time to do. But when we live into our values, it's not just a profession of them, it's practice. And I share this and I share my story because I do wanna take a few minutes to share with you all some of my values, values that I lead my life, and my home, and uh, my church ministry, and this organization with, and values that I hope are reflected in our next few days together. My first value is safety. I believe that church should be the safest place that a person comes into because it was for me. On Maslow's hierarchy of needs, safety is the second tier right above the physical uh, needs you need to survive, like shelter, water. I strive to lead a space that welcomes everyone to its table and makes space for them to be safe to be themselves. For the next two days, my prayer is that we'll all be safe. Safe because of COVID, obviously, but also safe in terms of creating a vault so that what we share here stays here. Safety that really allows us to share and be vulnerable. And it just, it's right here. We have space to do that. My second value is diversity. I think people are better when they're next to people different from them. For me, diversity includes gender identity and expression, racial and ethnic background, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, family background, location, denomination, and more. I believe that God's kingdom is best reflected in diversity, and it is important to me. And diversity is certainly reflected in this room, and likely you might meet someone in the next two days who challenges you. My encouragement to you would be to lean into that which makes you uncomfortable and humbly listen and learn something new that you could take home with you. My last value is bravery. Now, St. Brene says you can only have two values, but I clearly make my own path. I don't, I don't do what others tell me to do. Now, one of the words that I do use to describe myself is pioneer. A pioneer is someone who makes their own path. You know, the life that I was born into is one with a very distinct path. Poverty, addiction, most likely incarceration. But from a young age, I chose to pave my own path. My parents don't go to church, it won't stop me. 
Everyone in my youth group left. I'm still here. Women don't go into youth ministry. I will. <laughs> There's not a seat at the table that I'm going to create my own. And that's been my life. And I determined that I will write my own story with the guidance of God. Because if I just do what I've always done, I'm not going to get to where I need to go. But bravery is different from strength. I don't really like the word strong. I hear it all the time. I believe that a person doesn't choose strength. I believe that strength is an act of resilience. Strength only, res uh, strength only requires grit. But when you're strong, right, you can just barrel through things, bulldozing people who don't agree with you, and placing on armor so you don't get hurt in the process. I know all about strength. I'm an Enneagram 8. Strength only requires grit. You knew I was going to bring it up. But bravery requires vulnerability. It's acknowledging that you do have fears and then going after those fears. Strength mitigates risk and calculates the best path to success. But bravery is doing the thing even when it's hard to do, even when it could flop. So my last prayer for you all is that you might be brave in the next two days, that you might go outside of your comfort zone. Again, as an eight on the Enneagram, I don't love getting vulnerable with strangers. I'll probably go home tonight and have the biggest vulnerability hangover. Like, it just is what it is, right? So allow me to be the example. What would happen if you took the armor off and had real relationships with women here? What if you were brave enough to build new relationships? What if you took something from here and brought it back home and did something really brave in your church? Every single one of you has a story. Every single one of you has values. So I'm curious, what is your story? What are your values? And how does that impact your ministry? So on your table is a list of values from Brene Brown's book. It's on her website as well. I can get it into the chat as well for our online people. I encourage you to take some time tonight or tomorrow morning and think about your story. Who are you? What are your values? How are these values represented in the spaces that you live and you lead in? Are you in any spaces that don't reflect your values? How can you be a leader in those spaces and still be true to who you are, if you can? In that quote of Bernays that I shared, she says that if we don't have clarity of values, then in the toughest of moments, we can lose focus. We lose ourselves. As women in ministry, we have critics. We have the people who say women can't do ministry. But then we have the critics of our ministries. You know the emails I'm talking about. Critics are everywhere. It's so easy to lose ourselves in ministry because the critics abound. And I believe that's why they say that the average youth pastor is only in a church for 18 months to three years, whatever the number is. It's because the critics bring us down. You have to know who you are and who your values are if you're going to do ministry. Knowing your values can save you from burnout in times where you're wondering, why am I here? What am I doing this for? So I encourage you to bring this activity home and do this 
to bring some clarity to you and your ministry. So for the next few days, safety, diversity, and bravery. May you learn and lead vulnerably. Will you pray with me? Dear God, I pray for all of the humans here that you just might let them know that they're loved and that they're awesome and that they're baddies too. And I pray that you'll help them lead and live and love vulnerably the next few days, whether they're in person or online, that they might have a safe space to be themselves, get to know some people who are different from them, and be brave and vulnerable with their conversations. God, we love you. We're so happy we're here, God. I can't wait to make 100 best friends. Um, And I just pray you'll guide our time together. Amen. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to rate us five stars. Follow us on Insta, Twitter, or TikTok at Women in YM. If you're a woman, we'd love to have you as part of our Facebook community. Go to womeninyouthministry.com to learn more. To listen to more podcasts from the Youth Cartel Podcast Network, go to youthcartel.com. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Women in Youth Ministry Podcast.